my Fitbit's uh, running fast this morning. It hasn't synchronized with my uh, phone, and it's about two hours ahead, so I'll have to keep my eyes on that clock. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not on my Fitbit. It's a bit like ourselves, really. Sometimes we're, we're out of sync with God until we come into a place, into his, ho- into his house, and we synchronize in our spirits. And we you know what? Sometimes we get ahead of ourselves, you know, and the week goes by, and you're rushing by, and you just don't synchronize until you come into the house of God, until you come with two or three gathered where Jesus is in the midst. And I believe he's in the midst this morning. Uh, but before we go into the word, um, we have house groups on a Wednesday every other week. And um, the house group that I'm in know that we like our cake. <laughs> so I brought a cake this morning. Um, it's not a very big cake. And I noticed there was no cake this morning out back. So, hopefully, somebody might get some cake this morning. How many can tell me how many times do I have to cut this cake to make four slices? Any volunteers? Twice? Three times. Any Any others? Seven. <laughs> we want to make four slices out of this cake. Here we go, a bit messy. I think we have the right answer. Three. We've had two of those. What we do is we cut the cake in the middle. Steady my hand. Which is the, the median, the average of the length of the cake. Now, to get four slices, how many more times did we say? Two more. And we'll go in the middle again of the low side. And we'll go into the middle of the top side. How many slices do we have? Four slices. Three cuts and four slices. This morning, I want to talk a little bit about this cake before we go into Galatians. Because we're in the end of Galatians at the moment. And if this was the book of Galatians... We would be, in statistics terms, on the upper quartile. Quartile being four. So we're in the top end of uh, Galatians. This cake could also represent the span of our lives, more importantly. And where do we stand in the span of our lives this morning? It doesn't matter if we're in the first quartile. Imagine our lives were 80 years. God grants us 80 years. My first 20 years represents this piece of the cake. Or maybe I'm between 20 and 40 years of age this morning. I'd be in the lower quartile. This is your piece of cake here. Or maybe you're in your 40 to 60 years of age. God's granted you 80 years. You're this third slice of cake with one slice to go, which will bring you into the upper quartile which is your last slice of cake before we go home to be with our Lord. What I said to the Lord this morning, I said, well, Lord, what do you want to say in the Galatians? We're in the fourth quartile, the end of the book of Galatians. Do we want to teach about a book that was written over 2,000 years ago? Or do we want to discover what is God saying to us this morning? from this book, 
that might have been written 2,000 years ago. But you know what? It applies to every quartile of our lives. What God said to me this morning is, it's time to put away your contentions. Contentions are arguments, disputes. We, sp- we sang there that last song, and I made a quick note because my memory's not very good. Your majesty, I can but bow. I lay all before you now. And what the Lord said to us all is he wants us to lay before him all our arguments, all our disputes. And depending where you are on this cake, whether you're like me coming between the two, you've probably met, experienced many arguments and disputes in your life. You see, the book of Galatians is all about a contention, a contention of circumcision, about adding to the work of God in our lives. And as you've experienced life, you will have met many arguments. You're not a Christian. How can you say you're a Christian? The way you behave. These are arguments we hear. Your behavior doesn't say that you're a Christian. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says, I'm a Christian because God hung on a cross. He died for me and he rose again. And he created in me a new creation. It's not because of my, my works and what I do. You know, the Bible says it's not what comes in to a man, but it's what flows out of a man that makes him corrupt. It's what comes out of my mouth that determines. Christ has saved me. And the fruit of that was what will flow outward from me will be life will be a witness to him. And Paul is here in the middle of a contention with Jewish Christians who are looking to argue on the basis of circumcision. God is saying, put away. Put away these arguments this morning. Lay them before me. Many of you are on this last slice of the cake. It's not worth. You've traveled your whole life your Christian life perhaps, and you've had so many arguments and disputes, sometimes it makes you sick, sick to your back teeth, of the church maybe, of relationships, of friendships. So-called Christian friends have treated me in such a way. You know, I've got here now, I'm 60 this year. I've seen it. I've seen it all, and many of you probably the same. And God is saying, lay aside these arguments and disputes these disappointments, these heated arguments that we've had. We've taken our eyes off the true meaning of what God has called us to boast about this morning. He wants us to boast about him, about his glory. He wants us to know relationship. Forgive me, I'm pointing the knife a little bit. (laughs) I'm not threatening. And this is what Galatians is all about. And Paul, he persecuted the early Christians before he was saved on the road to Damascus where God struck him blind. And he saw the light, literally saw the light. And Jesus turned up. And you know what? He reaped most of his ministry. Persecution. Similar to what he meted out to others. He reaped that. It was was something that was on him. That was He asked the Lord, Lord, take this away, will you, Lord? Where, why am I hounded in every town where I preach the gospel? And he was reaping something back in terms of his early life, perhaps. But shall we read? Shall we turn to Galatians? But remember, the Lord's word this morning to me was, lay aside your contentions. 
your disputes. Doesn't matter where you are in life, whether you're early in life or later on in life. We're reading from Galatians 6 and verse 11. Verse 11. Look at what large letters I've written to you in my own handwriting. Those who want to make a good showing in the flesh are the one, ones who would compel you to be circumcised, but only to avoid being persecuted for the cross. For even the circumcised don't keep the, the law themselves. However, they want you to be circumcised in order to boast about your flesh. For as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. May peace be on all those who follow this standard, and mercy also be upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, because I carry the marks of Jesus on my body. Brothers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, with your spirit. Amen. You see, he says, I care not. Circumcision or no circumcision, you've missed the point. Disputes that distract us from the real meaning of the gospel. It's more clear, you know, you can look at concordances, you can look at commentaries. You know, the best commentary in understanding the Bible or the text is the Bible itself. You don't need commentaries. Men who are 2,000 years on trying to guess what the orator or the, 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 the writer was saying in the context of the times, yes, we can do all that. But the best thing to do is to look at Scripture that tells us more about this whole fight and argument that Paul was in. And in Philippians 3, it really does shed light on this. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is protection for you. Watch out for dogs. Watch out for evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul, you're getting into arguments. For we are the circumcision, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I had once confidence in the flesh too, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, persecuting the church, as to the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own 
from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God, based on faith. And this is it, verse 10. My goal, our goal, should be to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead. So he puts aside the arguments, as the Lord said to me this morning, put aside all this arguing and disputing. You know, there's arguments since the day of time, even when Jesus walked the earth, the the disciples said to Jesus in Matthew, Lord, who is the greatest? Do you remember that? In 18 verse 1, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then he called a child to him, had him stand among them. I assure you, he said, unless you are converted and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. See, Paul starts out there and saying, look at what large letters I've written to you in my own handwriting. He's writing to the Galatians. He's appealing to them, as he did to the Philippians. And he's saying, look at what large letters. He's humbling himself. He's coming almost like a child writing. Do you remember when you were a child at school? (laughs) I've got six grandkids, and they come and they write the name, and it's big letters. It's not sophisticated. It's not joined up writing. And I can imagine these Pharisees coming with their doctrines on circumcision and on the law, which were finely scribed. And Paul's argument comes up with big children's letters. He's humble because he knows it's not about arguments. It's not about doctrines and interpretation of doctrines. It's about the power of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. It's about the focus of him In 3.10. Sorry. Let me get back to it. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that somehow I will reach the resurrection from the dead. So, you know, it doesn't matter where you are on this cake, whether you are near the end, chapter, the final quartile, we all need to know that there is a resurrection, that this life is not everything. It's just merely a preparation. Or if you're at the beginning of this, it's good to know this lesson, not to boast about anything but Christ in my life, to know the power of resurrection. I was sharing in the house group a few weeks ago, probably six weeks ago, how old of me about the story of the resurrection. I remember I had my guitar, I'm not very good at guitar, and I was singing one night and words came to me, Eli Elohim takes away my sin. And I think I'd watched the story of the Christ, was it? Mel Gibson's, what was that called? The Passion. And you look at the pain and the suffering that he went through. 
And it says, Eli, Elohim. And I thought I was singing in tongues. And I realized Elohim is God's, the name of God, the powerful name of God. And the power of his resurrection. And God showed me that he's taken away my sin on the cross. He died for me. And we hear that message often. But you know what? He rose again. The power of his resurrection. And I was showing in a house group how this really got to me. I read the whole story of the resurrection. Focusing on the resurrection. Rather than on the suffering and the sacrifice that he made for me. The power of his resurrection. And I want to share this with you this morning. You know what? It was a revelation to me. I've read it many times. But I want you to hear it from Matthew. So if you turn with me to Matthew 27. And we'll mingle a little bit of the other Gospels as we go. But this is why Paul was so determined to focus on the power of his resurrection. To put his faith in this. Because, you know, some people can't face another day. Can't face another church. Can't face going on in life sometimes. And there's an old song, and I might play it to you later. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because Christ lives. If this comes home to you today, that he is actually alive, he lives. Because Christ lives, I can face tomorrow. It gives me hope. It's not just the fact that I'm saved. Yes, you're saved because he died and he carried our sin. But because he lives, because he rose again, it gives me faith. Faith to live tomorrow, whether tomorrow be the end of this cake, the middle of this cake, wherever I am in life, I can face the next chapter. Because he lives. Because he lives. I'll give you a story. I had, I've told some of you here already, I think. I was seeking God and Someone prayed and said, Dave, God wants you back in the church. And I said, I don't want to go back to church. I've had a bad experience of church. I don't want to go back. I don't, why should I put myself back through all of that? And God began to speak and, and, and I began to argue with God. And for nights and months, three or four months, and this guy would ring me up New Year's Day. God wants you back in the church. And I, go, I don't want to be back in the church. Why would I face all that strife, contention, arguments? Who's the greatest? And God showed me and he began to reveal to me through a series of events of what had gone in my life, on in my life. And he said to me, he said, Dave, I took you off the fire. It wasn't the disputes of men. It wasn't because men removed you. It was because I removed you for such a time as now. And you know, God came into my room and he took hold of my hands. Now it was amazing. Because I was so broken. And I had such a bad time in work. And I, I couldn't, you know how you do, they say, you know, people think about work on a Sunday afternoon when they're having a Sunday lunch because they dread going in. And that was me. And I was arguing with God and he was showing me stuff. And then he took hold of my hands like a little child. And he played with me and, I, and he wrestled with me. And you know what? Because I knew he lives. I could face tomorrow. I got up the next day and, you know, I went into work. It didn't matter what they thought about me. It doesn't matter about what disputes I had with them in the past. I was bringing them into a new IT system. <laughs> the disputes and I go, oh, we can't do this because it would do that. And we, you know, all this stuff. People don't like change. And I'd spent three years trying to convince them, it's good for you. Come on, come on. 
I even fall, fell out with the owner of the business. And it felt like everybody hated me. And all I was trying to do was bring in a new computer system. And then God turned up, and I was able to love these people for who they were. It didn't matter where they were in life. If they felt, I can't change, our business doesn't run that way. It didn't matter. I began to make tea in the mornings, and I began to cheer up, and I was a happy person because God came, and he revealed that he lives. He lives, and he lives in me. And he lives in you if you've accepted him into your life. Sorry, where was I? I've lost my track. We're in Philip. Matthew. Yes, yes, thank you. Now, I want you to see this. I mean, I, I, as I say, I've studied the Bible for years and read the Bible for years, but this was great. The power of his, of his resurrection, I've titled it. Matthew 27 and verse 57. This was after Jesus had died on the cross. Elohim had taken away my sin. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea. In Mark it says he was a prominent member of the Sanhedrin named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. He approached Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. John 19 also adds that Nicodemus, who came to Jesus at night, do you remember him? Was with him and supplied 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes for the burial. Then Pilate ordered that it be released. That is the body of Jesus. So Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean, fine linen, and placed it in his new tomb, which he had cut into the rock. He left after rolling a great stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were seated there facing the tomb. The next day, which followed, the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that while these, this deceiver was still alive, he said, After three days I will rise again. Therefore, give us orders that the tomb may be made secure until the third day. Scoundrels. We call our Lord a deceiver? Well, we'll see how the story ends, shall we? Otherwise, his disciples may come, steal him, and tell the people, he's been raised from the dead. Then the last deception will be worse than the first. You have a God of soldiers, Pilate told them. Go and make it secure as you know how. I like to think, just stop there, that it doesn't say there's dispute whether this guard of soldiers were Hebrew soldiers or whether they were Roman. I like to think they were Roman, and I really like to think a few of them were those that beat and mocked Jesus, that plucked his beard, that put a crown of thorns on him, that marched him through the streets with the cross on his back as he, as he was dying before he even got strung upon that cross because he'd been so badly tortured. I hope, my hope is that some of these guys are in this guard that Pilate releases. Tough guys who beat our Lord and thought, ah, come on, if you were the son of God, you'd call the angels down and they'd take you off that cross. And he never did, because he died for you and me. It's so important that he came for that very purpose. So I really hope that this God had a couple of these butch guys in there thought they were tough. 
Sorry, back to the scriptures. <laughs> you have a guard of soldiers, Pilate told them. Go and make it as secure as you know how. Then they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting the guard. There's a tool, isn't it, that you use when you want to fasten You do cars welding. I wonder if they had welding back then. I wonder how they made this tomb so secure. They didn't have super glue. How did they do it? How did they, did they cement it? Let's read on. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting the guard. Not, oh, sorry. I've already said that. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. And I can just imagine, there's these tough guys. A guard of soldiers, how many? Maybe a dozen? Well, we watch out here now because they're coming to steal the body. That's no, not going to happen. We've sealed the tomb. It's not just a small stone, by the way. This is a stone without sealing. It was impossible to move with two or three men. And who were they expecting? Some of the disciples, perhaps, who were all quivering somewhere in an upper room. And you see the story. Here comes the angel of the Lord. And he comes down. There's a violent earthquake. It's a bit like one of these superhero movies. He fires from heaven, touches earth. And they all think, what on earth was that? Let's read on. It's so exciting, this bit. Uh, yeah, so the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. <laughs> must have been terrified. Big earthquake. Angel of the Lord descends down. Heaven touches earth. The earth shakes. And there they are all bold and bolstered. I don't think so. I imagine, uh, sorry, yes. Did it? I've lost my way again. The angel descended and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. So, <laughs> this angel of the Lord comes down, he's a big earthquake. He comes up to him, he rolls back the stone and he's sitting on it. Well, hang on a minute, wasn't there a guard? Where, where's the guard in this? Where's, this? where's these tough guys that dragged Jesus through the streets, that tortured him? Where are they? It just says like they didn't exist, doesn't it? It does tell us in a bit. So he rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. I imagine him sat there, with, you know, as, as you do, you know, you fold your knee. And you just, can you imagine? I just sat there. Nobody can resist God. When God's intentions, you know, when God intends to do something, man, in all his strength, cannot resist God. He is so powerful. This is the power of God's resurrection, of Christ's resurrection. This is the thing that we need to boast about. We concentrate a lot about his death. We concentrate a lot about him as a young baby in a manger. Every year at Christmas we talk about, I know it's all good news. But for me, this is what it's about. He is the powerful Lord, the Almighty. Man cannot resist him. He can't even set a trap for him. One angel, the angel of the Lord, comes down. And he rolls away the tomb and he's sitting on it. Let's read on. Here 
His appearance was like lightning. His appearance was like lightning. Now, what does that mean? And his robe was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken from fear of him that they became like dead men. His appearance was like lightning. What does that mean? It's lightning. You think lightning. It's bright. It's flashing. It's probably terrifying. I don't know if you've ever been in a storm. If you've ever done Florida, for instance, there you get really good storms in Florida. You see them coming, and the, the lightning flashes. We used to go in Arkansas. I don't think we had lightning, like when I was a child anyway. Uh, it's a fearful thing. He, he, he had the appearance of lightning, white robes, the angel of the Lord. You know, when it speaks about the angel of the Lord, it's, it speaks of Jesus. We sometimes think, oh, well, Jesus was lying there and he's in a tomb. You know, he's died for three days. We know he goes down into Hades and he releases the captives. He's not trapped in some tomb. Man can't hold him. He's not there waiting to be rescued. He's beyond that. He's beyond the physical. This is our God that we serve. This is what we must boast about. Our God is alive. And because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And because he lives, you know, there's people out there in the world who don't, can't face tomorrow, and they don't know that Christ lives. They might know the story of the cross and his birth, the Christmas story and the Easter story. One's his birth, one's the cross. We don't boast enough about the power of the resurrection. And that's why Paul said, you know what, I don't care about circumcision. Circumcision or not, it doesn't matter. My focus is about the power of his resurrection. If I can only achieve that, then I've got nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. If my last day is today or tomorrow, then I will be resurrected with Christ if I'm in him. And that's the importance of the gospel message. And that's why I don't want to focus on a book arguing about circumcision. Let's pull out what Paul really wants to tell us about. Be humble. Be like little children, Jesus said. Who's the greatest Lord? Who's the greatest leader amongst us? What a load of nonsense. We serve such a powerful God. You know what? If you're going to be like that, you're like the Roman soldiers that were in that guard. Thought they were tough. Thought, yeah, yeah, no one's getting past us. And where were they? Quithering on the floor terrified angel of the Lord comes down he's a powerful God who we serve sorry I won't check the time so what a contrast Paul is saying the same look how I write with such large letters versus those who want to make good showing in the flesh back to the scripture he is not here. He has been raised. Just as he said, come here and see the place where he was lying. Go quickly now and tell his disciples. He has been raised from the dead. And now he's going into Galilee ahead of you. You will see him. Remember what I've told you. Fantastic. I've only ever, well, I've not only ever read, I've read Matthew before, but 
Just the picture of it. We see different views of this story, different witnesses in the Gospels. We don't get, and if you put it all together, it's very interesting. Some aren't so powerful as that, but that is powerful to me. I think, Lord, you're a powerful God. So remember, that is why we're gathered today. We're not here to study a book which is two and a half thousand years old. We're here to know and find the truth that what God wants to say to us. That book is his word, by the way. It was breathed by him. It was inspired to be written in such a way. Yes, for the times that it was written in, but also as the, pond, the stone on the waters that ripple for the, for the generations and generations after. That's his word. It keeps coming from generation to generation. Even 2,000 years on from the time when it was written, it has powerful meaning because it tells us to focus correctly. Lay down your contentions, your disputes. They don't mean anything. Doctrine. It's good, don't get me wrong. Some of the things I, I, I'm being quite light with, but essentially it's knowing Christ. It's knowing his touch in your life. Get back to the basics. Knowing his fellowship, that relationship with him. Forget whether you've been hard done by. Your experiences have hurt you. God says to you, lay it down before my feet this morning. Lay it before me. Surrender it. You know, I was going to go on and share with you. I was a bit contentious. <laughs> I was talking to Keith earlier about the, uh, some of you might be rugby fans. <laughs> about the Six Nations um, rugby at the moment. But... Uh, I'll fly the flag. You know, there's a standard to be raised. Paul finishes here in uh, Galatians 6 about raising the standard. Apologize, this is St. George's flag, but it's a standard. And what he's saying to us, there's a standard here to be raised. It's not about these contentious issues, circumcision and the likes, but it's about a new creation. It's about coming into Christ and knowing him and the power of his resurrection and being a new creation in him. So I'm going to finish with this verse because this is, for me, the, the crux of it. And I'm skipping a lot here um, because I don't want to take away what really God has emphasized. If you turn to 2 Corinthians. Before we read this, I just want you to know, it is a serious matter that we've discussed this morning about laying down, laying before his feet, surrendering. And some of you need to do that this morning. Regardless of where you are on this slice of cake, you need to surrender, lay it down to him. I'm going to ask um, the musicians to come back up before I share this. Um, and I want you to consider, have I, Lord, laid everything before you? Have I surrendered all? Do I realize who you are? Lord, I want to get back to what it's about. You know, I want to get back to relationship with you. Lord, I want to be able to be fresh again with you. I've been on the road a long time, seen a lot of disputes, a lot of disappointments. And I want to lay, Lord, my life back down to you. All these things before your feet. 
Lord, and I just want to surrender them to you because you are awesome. You're a magnificent God. Lord, you just want to love us like we heard before. You want us to see who we are in you. Oh, Lord, we don't want to have a grinding hard time coming and going to church because we have to. We want to come in here. It's amongst the God's people, Lord, because we sense your presence. Because you are real, you are alive, because you live, Lord, we can face tomorrow. Anything can be thrown at us because you live. And Lord, you live inside of each and every one of us. I just pray, Lord, for everyone here, Lord, that this scripture, Lord, would just say it all in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Paul's saying, raise a standard. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so you don't do what you want. For if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. It's not about arguments, disputes. Sorry, I've lost the scripture. The scripture is about us being a new creation in him. It's not about arguments. Oh, you know why I'm in Galatians still? Thank you. I got a bit carried away. <laughs> I thought, am I going crazy here if I'm not already? Yes, thank you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And look, new things have come. Now everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Certain that God is appealing through us, we plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. That's what it's about. He's he's appealing here. He's saying, look, I sent my son for the sinner that didn't want to know. He's reconciling the world to himself. He's saying, be ye reconciled with one another. Don't be distracted by contentions and disputes. Let's put them before his feet. I just want you to be able to surrender and lay before him anything that's gone before, that's added to this great gospel, this great powerful resurrection. And as we've just sung, Lord, I will arise. The Lord wants you to rise in your glory this morning. The glory that he's placed upon you not to be downtrodden by your past experiences and disputes. Lord, we just pray we lay it before you now, everything before you. We surrender to you in your mighty greatness. And we arise, Lord, as your children, as who we are, as it was said earlier, who we rightfully are. We are your righteousness put upon us, Lord.
as we embrace our lives as new creations and we find you again, Lord, afresh in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, some cake for anybody who wants this. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.